Since iTunes only keeps the last 100 episodes of any show, some of our show topics that seem to help the most people are no longer available when people search on iTunes. So, in an effort to make that information available to more people, from time to time we're going to re-air some of our most popular show topics. You can also go to kickitnaturally.com and search for any topic in our search box. For now, enjoy this show that originally aired in 2014. T.C. Hill is not a doctor and does not claim to be a doctor or licensed in any type of medical field. Don't be an idiot and use anything heard on the show as medical advice. This information should be used for educational purposes only and you should contact your doctor for any medical advice. Now get off me. Welcome to Kick It Naturally. I'm Kenna McEnroe and I'm here with T.C. Hale, author, natural health expert, producer, Blah, 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 blah. Is there anything else you've added to your list? I did. I added one more blah. Oh, what is it? Blah. Oh, okay. You yeah. got me there. You just have an extra one. Okay. Uh, so to- that was Tony. And uh, we also have Hottie Patati, Will Schmidt, who's looking really tan today. Oh, hi. He's All brown. Right. Yeah, Quite. he's very brown. Browned and de- brown and delicious. Since we're fancy, today's show is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at kickitinthenuts.com forward slash audiobook. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. I think I've listened to every single one of them. Over 150,000 of them? Yeah, cool. you know, when you do audiobooks, like, it makes you lazy to read. Like, I find yeah, I'm like, I just this, like them so much better. When is this going to be available on an MP3? Yeah, when, did, yeah. when can I just have somebody who just sits and reads to me? Right. Uh-huh. That's what I really want. Or get TV where you just get it in an IV. Uh-huh. You don't have to, like, <laughs> right. sit there in front of it. You can just lie in your bed. That's going to be awesome. Uh, but if you haven't followed us on Facebook, go ahead, pull over, do whatever your kid, drop that kid off, you know, somewhere. And go to Kick It in the Nuts on Facebook, and that's where we post topics every single week about the future shows we'll be doing. And you guys can post questions there, and we'll cover them and try to answer them as best as possible. Cool. So today's topic is dietary fats. Are they good or are they bad? Fats. Dun, 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 dun. Mm. So, you know, before we get into talking about this, I wanted to tell everybody why... I felt like we needed to do this topic. So we had some post on uh, Facebook, and and these people that had this conversation weren't show listeners, so we can be mean to them. Oh, good. Yeah, it's going to work out great. But um, so what happened is we just, I can't remember what the topic was, but we had two women that were kind of wanted to argue a little bit with each other of what's right and wrong. Oh, women. Yeah, chicks. Come on, no, but they were both so horrifically wrong, and I was just like, "Man, we gotta do, we gotta do a show and explain this stuff." Dumb and so, dumber too. Yeah. So if you could uh, read the first two one, the questions that we have, and just make sure that they sound like clueless chicks. I got it. I, yeah. I don't even have to try on that nah, one. You way know? to go! I am stereotyped. <laughs> Random clueless chick. Coconuts contain bad fats. That's why I can't eat it. Cholesterol low fat diet. Random chick two, please, coconuts have good fat, meat has bad fat, do your research and live longer. (laughs) Right, so I'm a fan of doing research and living longer, but there's plenty of bad research out there, so you never know what you're going to get. It's like Forrest Gump. Hmm. He ate fats. Yeah, but he had them in a box of chocolate. he also ate a box of chocolate. Yeah. So... What we want to talk about is that we understand where both of these ladies get their point of view from, but there's just so much bad information out there about fats. And the problem is that now we 
we unequivocally know that was fancy you know, that uh, dietary fats are important that we need them that they can be very helpful uh, the problem is that that information even though it's been around you know in a lot of areas a lot of circles for 15 20 years that information will take another 20 30 years to get to the full mainstream just because uh, it just takes a lot longer of information to get out there. Yeah, we still got pregnant women smoking and drinking. Right. They haven't heard the news. They didn't hear that yet. Mm -hmm. So we want to try and accelerate that a little bit and explain uh, a few of the things about fats and when are they good and which ones are good and who are they good for and why do you want them and all that kind of stuff. So first of all, let's hit off uh, because... There have been a lot of low-fat diets out there, and people have found success on those low-fat diets. Some people have, even though we know that they're horrific uh, in the long term now. But for the people that have found success, or they feel so much better, or maybe they even lose some weight by reducing their dietary fats, let's explain uh, in what circumstances that may happen. Will Schmidt. I want to pound on the table in authority, but uh -huh. Nina yells at me because it messes up. Oh, right. Right. So let's talk a little bit about some gallbladder function and, you know, why reducing fats might make somebody feel better, et cetera. Yeah. So one thing you taught me way long ago was if you can't digest something, you shouldn't eat it until you can digest it. Yeah, no matter what it is. What, yeah, sugars, proteins. Waffle irons, like you shouldn't right. eat it if you can't digest it, even if it's a nutrient you need. Like maybe your tissues are crying out for fats, but if you don't have the bile to break fat down into usable nutrients, it's just going to cause problems. It's just going to make you nauseous, give you skin problems, all sorts of like weird fermentation and constipation and diarrhea can happen from it. Sure, and weight gain too. Yeah, and weight gain. So if you have success on a low fat diet, it's probably because your body wasn't handling any fats that you were eating well. And usually that's because of poor bile flow or poor bile production or both. So just to go over real quick how that works is your liver makes bile and then your gallbladder stores and concentrate it like a concentrated dish soap. And it's supposed to squirt that bile onto the food after it leaves the stomach, which neutralizes the acidic food sludge as it enters, but it also emulsifies the fats and breaks them down into usable lipids. If that doesn't happen, then the fats just cause problems and you don't get any nutrition out of it. So you would definitely feel better in taking them out of your diet. That's not a real solution, though, because you really need them for multiple important reasons. So you really want to work on fixing your ability to digest the fats and then learning which ones are right for you. Right. So to kind of give this a visual... Let's say that uh, maybe you and your girlfriend got in some kind of really weird food fight in the kitchen and you had coconut oil smeared all over your face. Oh, just, you were watching us last night. Yeah. Just hypothetically. <laughs> so when you go to wash that off with water, it, it's kind of hard to get it off. But when you take soap, uh, you can put it on that fat, that oil, and it, it'll wash right off because the soaps kind of emulsify those fats and break them apart so that they come off easily. And that's kind of what bile is doing. It's kind of helping you break down those fats into something that's usable. And it's really common for someone not to have their bile flowing properly. I mean, we see it all the time with clients and book readers and 
course students and stuff I like that. I got thick bile. You bile it up. Mm-hmm. Your bile rocks the house now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you were not too bile in the beginning. Um, and think about all the people that you probably know that have had their gallbladder removed. And, and the reason that usually happens is because bile is not flowing well, it's too thick, and then all of a sudden you've formed stones and now... It, it's getting backed up and you're getting gallbladder attacks and a doctor says, well, I'll just, I'll yank that out. No big deal. Um, so it, most of those people get that way due to bile not flowing well. Just to kind of give you an example of how common it is because a lot of people uh, haven't gotten to the point where they are having gallbladder attacks, but bile is still not flowing. They're on their way there. They could be leading that direction. So... Like Will was saying, if you can't break it down, now these fats that you ate become a burden to the body because your body can't use those fats unless they're broken down into what the body can use. So if it's a burden to the body, the body will can store junk in fat cells. It can try and push it out through the skin, which makes us break out or have rashes or weird skin issues. Um, so it, it can be a real problem. So if somebody has those issues and they stop eating fats, boom, they're going to feel better right away. So that's where a lot of this confusion comes from of are fats good, are fats bad? You know, even if they do some clinical trial, which is science. I mean, it's science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That was sarcasm. There was. But they're doing it in a science lab. Mm-hmm. So that makes it science. Mm-hmm. But... So when that happens, you know, the problem with trials like that is who are, who's even involved in the trial? How is their digestion working? What can they even break down and, and properly process? We don't know, and, and they don't either. They're just kind of taking random people. That's what a random trial means. Mm-hmm. So we end up getting a lot of misinformation instead of looking at an individual and what happens uh, when we put this food into a person when their bile is flowing, what happens when we put this food into a person when their bile is not, then we could gather real information. But since we don't do that, we end up with bad information that kind of confuses everybody, and, and then they argue on Facebook, mm-hmm. which is really what you're supposed to do on mm-hmm. Facebook. That's what it's for. It's for arguing with people you don't know and you know, pic- pictures of cats. Originally called Argue Book? No, oh, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um so that's that's one big deal. Uh, the next big deal is me. Yeah, is yeah. <laughs> right. she's the next big thing. Mm-hmm. So that's all we have to say about that. <laughs> um, Will, do you want to talk a little bit about maybe like you know the vegetable oils and and kind of all the the fats that we're told are healthy and the, you know the fake butter spreads and stuff like that, um, and why those are not so optimal. Yeah, so there was a a big craze, and I do think there's another comment coming up about whether money influenced this at all, and it definitely did, but there was uh, an era when it was profitable for agricultural in this industry, or in this country, to sell a lot of cheap plant oils as an alternative, like, healthy fat source. So there was an easy, logical inaccurate connection that people would make between eating foods that are high in cholesterol and having high cholesterol. So there was a lot of misinformation put out about how saturated fats like animal fats, butter, egg yolks and such are dangerous because they'll give you heart disease. Because they, they, We were told that they raise 
bad cholesterol, which right. isn't even bad in the first place. Right, they're actually. looking at high cholesterol in the body, so they think, oh, we'll just don't eat cholesterol, and that'll bring cholesterol down. Yeah. So all of these foods are evil, evil that can't contain cholesterol. Right, and then the alternative that they pitched as like the healthier choice was all these plant oils, like um, corn, canola oil, soybean, and soybean oil. oil, and yeah. And all the problem with those is. They go rancid really easily, not only like whether they're molecularly distilled and preserved perfectly on the shelf, when it hits your blood, your own body oxidizes it if they're not already rancid when they're, when they're on the shelf. So they cause all sorts of bad problems, including high cholesterol. Like they raise our... Just from the inflammation that they yeah, cause. all sorts of oxidative stress and damage that your body has to deal with. So... Consumption of these polyunsaturated fatty acids is a really, really harmful thing and contributes a lot towards prostate, prostaglandin imbalances and prostate issues, as well as cholesterol and blood pressure and hypertension. And if I need to check your prostate, I will. Well, well yeah. it might come to that. Okay. <laughs> but they're also not nutritive. So you're not getting the nutrition that you could from more stable, more bioavailable fats like true saturated fats or more stable plant oils like omega-9 found in olive oil and fresh ground flax seeds and stuff. Right. And, you know, we, we look at, okay, we're all scared of cholesterol. We're going to run from that as far as we can. So now we need to find another fat that we can cook in. We make this vegetable oil and we thrive those crops. We, uh, we even have the government paying farmers to grow them, and subsidize. And, and now these companies thrive because, you know, 50 years ago, who didn't have Crisco in their house? Mm. I mean, there wasn't a house without Crisco. That's just what people used. And so now these companies uh, have advertising dollars and they big, do big campaigns that talk about how this is the healthy way to do it. And it just kind of gets grilled into our brain and that's what we think is the healthy thing so now we know all that is false now and there's uh you know it's you can throw a stick and hit a best-selling author now that explained all this information but it still will take decades to seep down to the masses and get to the point to where everybody understands that so that's kind of what we're in the middle of now is we're still in the middle of people like uh the random chick number two she has learned that coconut fats are healthy for you she knows that but she still thinks that animal fats are bad because of things like you know the china project and stuff like that mm -hmm. so let's look at a couple other things of how animal fats could have uh china oh the china, china study. study yeah it's a book and then they do a documentary and stuff and they kind of turned everybody running from animal products into being a vegan Mm. Is kind of how that worked out. But a lot of the studies that they use, a lot of the information that they use is a lot of these animal studies were done on animals where they take animals that are not intended to consume any type of animal fat whatsoever and they cram a bunch of animal fat in it. And they're like, oh, well, that animal died. So this must be bad. <laughs> Didn't it live on grass? Boom. Mm. Solidified. Science. Right. Now we know. Here's the information. So everybody's like, oh, okay, we're vegan now. So there's a lot of misleading information that can confuse people, but when you're also not looking at the individual, it can magnify that confusion because even if a person is eating good animal fats but they feel lousy uh, because their bile's not flowing, they'll stop and they'll feel better and they're like, oh, I confirmed it. It is, it is, should be 
uh, vegetable oils instead. Or even vice situation. versa. If the information is good, but you're not able to process, right. then you shouldn't do it until you fix your digestion and stuff. Right. So let's get into some questions while we kind of uncover some of this more uh, bad information and confusion. Deanne from Glendale, Texas. How did the whole fats are bad get started? I think it had something to do with money. So one story that's really big and that is kind of going out there, and I, I am a little confused of the reality of it, but uh, there was a guy, Ansel Keys, that everybody kind of likes to blame um, on the the whole fat, fat is bad. And he did this uh, study in 22 countries where he correlated um, the amount of fat that was being consumed to the number of people that were dying from heart disease. So then uh, if there's more fat consumed and more people die from heart disease, then it's the fat's fault. Um, it didn't look at any other factors of the diet that were being consumed. It just looked at the fat. And so what happened was they they had the results of this test, and the results were kind of all over the board. There were countries that consumed a lot of fats and had low number of deaths, there were countries that consumed hardly any fat and had much higher number of deaths. There were countries that consumed a lot of fat and had, you know, the most deaths. It was all over the board. So what, uh, for one reason or another, and, and I don't know what the reason is, there's a lot of argument about it, but Ansel Keys took out all of the countries but like six or seven. And he left those in. And when you looked at the six or seven that were in there, it formed this perfect arch of the more fat consumed, the more deaths there were. Here's the information, science. <laughs> so we kind of freaked out. And, 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 and from my understanding that initially a lot of the, the community was against what he was saying. It's like, no, that can't be right, blah, blah, blah. But in any case, it seems like looking back that this is the blame for how we got on this roller coaster. And like we talked about, when some companies that were... Um, you know, called into let's make some other kind of fat becomes profitable and now they're powerful enough to advertise that this is the healthy way to go, then it kind of steamrolls even more. So there's a lot of ways that how we got here, and I don't even know that that's important. I think what's important is that... Tom Tom. Tom Tom. Got me here. Never mind. I don't know what that meant. Navigation. Mm. Oh, Tom Tom is your navigation. Okay. I think we need to start over now. <laughs> We're going to start completely over right, now. Right. So, yeah, I'm here with TC Hale. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, but the fact is that there is a lot of confusion um, that got us here. But I think what we need to look at is let's take the information that we have now and use that and just start moving forward one person at a time and helping them to understand the benefits of the fats and how they can use them and when they can use them. I can't wait for the day for somebody to come back and say, we were wrong, body fat's okay. Well, yeah, the bigger you are, yeah, the, the better. healthier longer you are. You, we're yeah. we're going to raise your salary. Yeah. That'll probably happen. Uh, yeah. Jackie, I think the problem with the mainstream with respect to sugar versus fat is it's all-encompassing and sweeping with no view on quality, unprocessed versus processed. Low fat is loaded with sugar and salt to compensate for lack of flavor. The fat in an avocado is far different than the fat in a honey bun. Totally. I would agree. I concur. Because I didn't want to use agree mm, after was, you did. Yeah. It was used up. Mm -hmm. Will, do you have a... a, a I confirm. Confirm. Okay, yeah. All right, cool. All right. Sweet. We had, we had tricked that there. one. That one yeah. was easy. And then I think that it's a, 
it's a bigger deal than we even make. Um, and then we even focus on is, you know, what you eat matters. And if you're living in this world where the food that you're putting in your body does not affect your health, then you're living in a, a fictional world. You are what you eat. And Tony's starting to look like a coconut. Mm-hmm. I'm a mm-hmm. coconut. Um, so uh, it, it does matter. And a lot of the fats that are in these processed foods are this synthetic processed stuff that your body can't even recognize. And, you know, Will was talking about that it can get oxidized when it's your body. Uh, it can also be viewed as an invader if it enters your body and makes its way into the bloodstream and has not been broken down in some way. And the body can freak out and then you you feel the effects of that. You feel lousy and don't understand why or you create something that's considered a disease and you don't understand why. And it's because of all these burdens that the body's having to deal with. So, yeah, if we were just going to look at, okay, what is it, carbs or fats or sugars or what what is the villain that everybody wants to yell at and beat on? You can't tap on the table when you're talking. <laughs> I got yelled at again. And you can't find a true villain because you don't know how people are processing each of those individual villains i just knew you were going to say sugar was a villain yeah well it's 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 sometimes it's like dexter though sometimes it's like a a villain that you like Uh and you like you you want to cheer for him a little bit um and he has his place he has uses in my belly Uh uh-huh but uh when you, if you have too much Dexter or too many Dexters, then that's havoc, okay. and that's a good visualization to understand that if there's too many Dexters, that would be a problem. Mm-hmm. All right, Laura from Los Angeles, California. How much fat is too much fat per day? Seven. <laughs> Seven fats. Seven fats. Will you got see? Uh, yeah, I mean, first, I guess the limiting factor would be. As much fat as your bile can handle, like you don't want to go over that amount, which you can kind of get a grip on through experimentation and and paying attention to your digestion and how well it's working. So if you're starting to feel like nausea when you eat fats, you're starting to have like chronic acne issues, or if your stool is light in color, or if you start to get loose stools or diarrhea, those are all signs of insufficient bile flow. So let's do that. Let's let's give somebody some action plan action steps here. Let's look at all the possible things that could happen that might be an indication that your bile is not flowing well. So yeah. you just mentioned yeah. a so, loose stool. Yeah, if you're loose, loose stool or diarrhea, mm-hmm. if your stool is light in color as opposed to dark like a forest floor, if it's closer to like the color of cardboard, that's an indication that there's not enough bile in the stool. If you have um, acne, like chronic kind of acne issues. Also, a sign of the skin picking up the slack for the bile not breaking the fats down. Um, if you start to feel nausea, especially when you eat fats, that's another sign. Right, of, it's a good one. Yep. Um, so all those are, are pretty main indicators, as well as gas and feeling bloating in your mid or lower abdomen. And keep in mind that these things do not mean that you have poor bile flow. Like diarrhea does not mean you have poor bile flow. It could mean that... Uh, other things as well. And we go over a lot of these things in a lot more detail on our free uh, four-week <laughs> digestion course at kickinthenuts.com. So you can check that out if you need more help. But um, if you understand these steps, then you can start to get an idea of, okay, uh, I had a tablespoon of coconut oil today and I felt great. Uh, the next day I had three tablespoons and I was a little bit nauseous. Well, it doesn't sound like you have enough bile to handle that many that much fat. Uh, 
So that can start giving you some clues of of what's going on with you and you can start to tailor your diet that way as well as take steps to improve the bioflow. Yeah, and so that's like a limiting factor of definitely not more than that amount that you can handle. But then as far as like how much fat do you really need, you want to look at your whole life. Like, Do you have enough energy for your day? Where is your body's base chemistry? Like when you do your self-tests or your scores where they should be, um, are you having cravings? Like are you seeking out like carbs or even trying to make up for more protein because you're limiting your fat too much? And also, what are your goals too? Like, are you working out a ton? Are you spending a lot of energy? Are you, are you trying to overcome a sugar addiction? Are you trying to gain weight, lose weight? So all those factors, as well as how like big you are in general, will like affect how much fat you should eat. And I think also, if we go back to Deanne's point a little bit, is that it's not a number of fat grams that is the correct formula for you for the day. The type of fats that you're eating are, are very important. Um, if it's vegetable oil, you really need to have zero grams mm-hmm. of vegetable oil every day. <laughs> Other than olives. <laughs> yeah, oil. olive oil is good. Um, but all those, you know, corn oil, all those things, you need, you know, your your dietary requirement is zero grams. And but you, don't cook with olive oil. Or less. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, yeah, that's, there's another great point that Kenna just brought wow, up. Wow, made a great point. Yeah, you rock in the house. <laughs> it happens once a year, maybe. Uh-huh. Um, is that you can take an oil or fat like olive oil that is very healthy, and then you can cook with it, and then you just made it toxic mm-hmm. because of the, it's not built to stand up to that heat and it, it changes the molecular structure it what it's like, it's like Britney, Britney Spears, Spears. right <laughs> right she's toxic and she was not built to withstand that type of pressure or heat um and she snapped mm-hmm. yeah I like Britney y'all remember Fry Daddies Fry Daddies no those, those no. were good I don't no, carry on I just was thinking about okay. Fry Daddy it's a good story um so I don't know what we were talking about. Okay, so, yeah, so don't look at a number of fat grams because that is not what you want to find. You want to find is, are you, first of all, first of all, eating healthy, healthy fats that, and can you process them? And it can even go into, you know, other levels because when we teach people how to look at their chemistry and see if certain aspects are imbalanced, you know, at the cellular level, you know, if somebody with a catabolic imbalance doesn't do as well on fatty acids... And the opposite can be with an anabolic imbalance and stuff like that. Yeah, I was I was holding off on mentioning that because I saw the next comment was getting into that. Oh, okay, we'll get into that in a second then. Yeah. So there was, oh, it also depends on, you know, what you're focused on. There could also be circumstances where someone may want to consume a lot more dietary fats, like if they're on a ketogenic diet, um, which I do a lot and I do really well on that is where you're just trying to get the body to burn fat uh, most of the time. Um, and in a situation like that, someone would consume a lot more fats than if they were just trying to do a normal, balanced uh, situation. So it can vary greatly, but so don't just, the answer is don't look for a number. There, there's not going to be a number. You need to listen to your body and you need to first understand how your body's operating, and then you will find something that really works well for you. People like numbers. I know they like yeah. numbers. That's why I say seven. Yeah. But I think the first step in this is to learn that don't be afraid of fats. It was it was fiction. It was false. It was not true that we needed to be afraid of fats. So the first step is to know that fats are good, and you should eat them. Cool. 
If you want to learn how to look at your own chemistry to get a better idea of how your unique body is operating, sign up for our KIY or Kick It Yourself membership. Not only do you gain access to our four-week digestion course and our 12-week flagship Kick Your Fat course that normally sells for $129, you also get free shipping at naturalreference.com. Restrictions apply, but since the membership is only $9 a month, it can pay for itself. You'll also have access to a reference system like you've never seen before and a members-only private support group where you can get feedback from coaches I've trained and I even show up to do live Q&A videos on a monthly basis. To see more features and sign up, go to kickitnaturally.com forward slash K-I-Y. That's K-I-Y. Joanne from Denton, Texas. I understand that we need fats, but what are the best fats to eat? And then Tammy, Joanne, it is all individual. There is not one nutrition equation that fits all. Oh, she's read one of Tony's books. Yeah, let's just go with Joanne's answer, unless yeah. Will wants to expand on that. I do, and I want to touch on what you were just talking about with the, the catabolic anabolic terminology. So we talk about that more in depth in the free digestive issues course of what that means and how to identify if you're in one or the other. But the biggest thing to know about it is if you are in a catabolic imbalance, which most people that are diabetic or have blood sugar handling issues are in, it's actually not helpful for you to eat fatty acids. Like even the even the ones that we're saying like aren't rancid. Oil, okay. Yeah, you even olive oil. That, yeah. Even if it's a stable omega nine thing, it's still not helpful because those fatty acids push you further into the catabolic imbalance, which makes you more of a slow oxidizer and screws up your insulin even more and all that. And also makes your cells deteriorate too fast. So in a catabolic state, you'd want to decrease your fatty acid consumption and increase your saturated fat consumption like butter, cream, egg yolks, the fat on animals other than fish, those fats would be helpful in pushing you to be more anabolic. Whereas if you're in an anabolic imbalance, the exact opposite is true. You'd want to minimize saturated fats, including coconut oil, and emphasize more fatty acids like avocado, olive oil, fresh ground flax seeds. Right, and, and all these fats that we're talking about here, uh, if a person is balanced, all these fats are great and should be consumed by everyone. Uh, it's just if you have a severe imbalance that may be creating other issues. Uh, the, the, in an anabolic state that we talk about in our courses and books where the cells are more closed up, a lot of times that can create severe constipation. So if you're in that state and you have a severe anabolic imbalance and you're constipated all the time, then using something like coconut oil could make you more constipated and it could exacerbate the issue that's already causing problems for you. So in uh, in Kick Your Fat in the Nuts, my book, I, I talk even about coconut oil and say, because it can be so beneficial if somebody's trying to lose weight because it's just such an easy fat for the body to use. And a lot of times the body's holding on to stored fat because the body needs fats to function. And if someone's eating a low-fat diet like a random clueless chick one, um, the body's like, hey, I need fats and you're not eating them. So I'm just going to hold on to everything that I have stored. So when you start giving the body fats that it needs to function correctly, then it can say, oh, I, I can let go of this stored junk because I'm getting everything I need every day. So in that respect... Coconut oil can be so helpful for weight loss that I tell people that if, if you're leaning too anabolic, take steps to fix that so that you can qualify to use coconut oil. 
uh, because it can be so helpful. So all these fats that we're talking about are really good fats, but for specific people, they may not be as helpful and you may need to do some work to correct an imbalance before they become beneficial to you. Yeah. And maybe we could just, maybe some people are thinking, well, what about all the essential omegas and like that whole like pop culture influence of like, we have to get these fatty acids and we must have fish oil or you die. Right. And you hear on like Dr. Oz, like, oh, everybody should be taking omega threes and sixes. Um, I forget the name of the article that Ray Pete wrote about that. Do you remember the name of it? I don't remember it. No. But uh, if you check out RayPete.com, he has a, he's a genius and he's got some really great, interesting things to say about essential fatty acids and the uh, the marketing influence behind calling them essential, like they weren't always called essential. That was a new thing. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden now they're essential. And talks a lot about how omega-3s and 6s turn rancid in the body and all the, like, the studies that have been shown to show exactly how essential they are are completely kind of misinterpreting the data that they got. And Ray Pete kind of goes into explaining all that. So if you are listening to this and you're like, oh, well, how can I eat just saturated fats and not eat my omegas? Am I going to die or my brain's not going to work anymore? Like, you can check that out and just look a little further into the research and experiment on yourself and see how your body responds when you start changing your diet up. Yeah, do your research and live longer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what Random Chick 2 says. <laughs> yeah, and uh, if you understand your own physiology, it can really help because then you, like, if someone's overly anabolic, fatty acids will save their life. It'll turn things around. So many issues will be improved drastically. So you kind of begin to understand how did, how did they get to the point where they're telling everybody to take piles of fatty acids? And it's because some people benefit so much when they increase their fatty acid intake. But it's because those people were in this state at the cellular level where they needed more. Mm-hmm. And so that's the biggest problem that we see is that there's a lot, you know, there's something out there that'll help everybody. But when some scientist looks at it and watches it help somebody, they assume that it must be good for everybody. And that's just not true. And like yeah. red cars aren't great for everybody, no. you know? So we're all different. Right. right. The most tickets in a red car. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's not, not beneficial. Exactly. But a lot of women driving a red car might find that that helps them get out of tickets. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Mm-hmm. All right, Doug. <laughs> Best fats to eat are avocados, butter, ghee, coconut oil, the fat in egg yolks, and nut oils. Just stay away from vegetable, soy oil, corn oil, canola oil, etc., etc. So I, I'm okay with what Doug's saying there. I, I like Doug, too. Um, and one thing that we haven't talked about yet is because we believe that animal fats are great if you can process them. Egg yolks are one of the most amazing foods uh, if you can process them correctly, which means that you need to be able to have digestion functioning. But a big deal is what kind of animal are you getting this from? That's that's a really big deal. Yeah, I mean, you, you don't want to eat animals that are not raised in an organic way or plants, ideally also, because they're going to absorb the pesticides or hormones or whatever other genetic modifications have been done to them. So yeah, whether the, they are like the right kind of foods, you want to look and see like, have they been made with purity? Are they grown from farmers who are, who are caring about like the nutrient density of their, their crops or their, or their livestock? 
So there's a lot of different factors and a lot of ways people can mess those things up even when they're choosing the right foods for them. Um, I think one other thing to look at that we haven't mentioned at all yet is uh, these foods like avocados and butter and ghee and coconut, they depend on which ones are good for you based on this catabolic anabolic imbalance you might be in. But ultimately, as you said, like all of these can be healthy once you fix that. And, they can all keep a balanced body when yeah, you're in a balanced state. Right. And a little advanced kind of nuance is your body is supposed to be catabolic in the morning and anabolic in the evening. And the genius doctor, Emmanuel Ricci, found that the most influential thing pushing you to one way or the other is the kind of fats that you're eating. So he encouraged this. Eventually, once you achieve good digestion and balance overall in the catabolic-anabolic respect, is to emphasize unsaturated fats in the morning, and then as the sun goes down, switching to a more anabolic-inducing saturated fat. And I found that I do well with that. And and to make it simple, like uh, in the... You know, earlier in the day, I'll have a salad and I'll have some olive oil on there, and I and that's great. And then at night, as I wanted to move more anabolic, I like eat a stick of butter, like sure. it's a lollipop. Right? Yeah. Isn't that in our cookbook? Like yeah. Stick butter of butter pops. lollipop. Mm-hmm. Butter pops. Yeah, we should put that just a picture of a stick of butter. <laughs> yeah. Um, but one other important thing to look at is is we teach people how uh, fat is not just you know body fat is not just you ate too much fat, and then you got fat. That's the new black. Mm-hmm. I think I've used that one before, but I'm going to recycle okay. it. Recycle. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times the body will take things that it's viewing as toxic, and it'll shove it into fat cells just for safekeeping uh, if it's overburdened and overwhelmed and can't remove so many toxins. So we know that that happens, and animals do the same thing. So if you have an animal that was raised by cramming it full of drugs and antibiotics just to keep it alive and it's eating all this food that it was not meant to eat and that food that it's being fed is even toxic itself like corn with GMOs and soybeans and all this kind of stuff Um, then that animal is loaded with toxins and a lot of those toxins will go into the animal's fat and then when you eat that you're consuming all those toxins so in that regard Animal fat is bad. So we're saying it. We're agreeing that animal fat is bad in that regard if you're eating a sickly animal. So I'll tell people, like, if they're at some restaurant or something, then they know that it's, I mean, it's jack-in-the-box or something that's not doing organic, grass-fed, pastured beef. Um, Then look for the leanest steak that you can get. And that might be a good idea. But um, a lot of these studies that have been done on animal products were not done on pastured animals. They're done on these toxic animals that are grown in these feed houses with that are just despicable and it's it's horrible. They have three and, eyeballs. Right. And there's three eyeballs and, and there's like a old factory worker growing out of an ear and it's mm-hmm. it's just not good. So when you do studies with that <laughs> material as your study, then yeah, yeah, animal fats are going to be unhealthy. So that's where a lot of this misinformation comes from. But you as a person can eat animal fats and just choose the better quality meats and eat it the, the food that's coming from a quality animal, and that's a whole different story. Simon from Wrexham. How much fat do we need to stay healthy? And what do you think of the 80-10-10 diet? Also, can we live healthily without animal fat? Is that the same as the 80-20 diet? 
but broken down into two tens. <laughs> no, 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 that's not what Bill Phillips talking about. Eighty twenty, like do eighty oh, percent okay. right and twenty percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so again, Simon, we talked about the how much fat do you need, and um, the eighty ten ten diet is actually this vegan thing where they do eighty percent carbs and then ten percent is fats and protein but it's a vegan diet so the protein that they're using is going to be soy and stuff Mm. like that and protein that you might get from nuts or something like that but think about this simon if uh you know in the same regard that there are a lot of people that um process fats very well there's also a lot of people that process carbs very well and we see a lot of sugar burners especially here in la um and a person can stay very thin eating 80% carbs if they're ripping through their carbs very quickly and very efficiently and their insulin is so strong that they don't need a lot of it to handle that high amount of carbs. So for weight gain, it's not always about, and for a lot of these other issues, it's not a lot of these inflammation issues, it's not about the amount of carbs that you eat, it's about how much insulin does your body need to process those carbs and what kind of carbs are they? I think that's important too, if they're, process, if they're garbage or junk or not. But um, a person can do well on this if they, they're not processing fats very well at all and they're ripping through carbs. If they shift their diet towards 80% carbs, they're going to feel great. The problem is over an extended period of time, it, in most cases it's going to create an insulin resistance situation because you're calling on that insulin all day all the time and you're calling on it big time like an 80 percent factor that's a lot mm-hmm. i kind of mm-hmm. like that idea though right so the problem with that is that once someone has become insulin resistant, resistant in any way and you're diabetic you get fat they're gonna blah, have a hard blah, time blah, blah. with that mm. situation because it's, it's it's not gonna work for them so um simon had other questions oh can a person be healthy without animal fats and i i talked to simon a little bit when he asked this question and he always has he has some of my favorite questions i think yeah because he always asked me to do a weird accent but right. he stopped asking so my feelings are hurt so you just picked one mm-hmm. but anyways gold star to simon and um he he, but he told me that he has not read "Kick Your Fat in the Nuts" yet. He he actually oh. has been learning stuff just from our shows, and he completely fixed his digestion just from the show. Cool. So that's probably fancy. From the podcast. Yeah. yeah, just from listening to the podcast. All right. But uh, he said he was going to read the book next week. But we talk a lot in the book about why someone would feel better when they turn to a vegan diet, and um, you know, think about if you took a trash can of carrots and you. And you filled it and you just sat it outside. And then you took another trash can and filled it with meat. And you just put the lids on and let them sit there for two weeks. Then you go back and you stick your head in both garbage cans. You know, which one is going to be worse? The meat. Yeah, it's going to be disgusting and rotting and fermenting and, and horrible. So if you don't have the ability to break down meat, then it rots and ferments a lot worse than a carrot would. Hmm. Not to mention that vegetables are easier to break down than meat is. Yeah, and it's freaky. Carrots will look the same like a month after uh-huh. you get them. It's kind of freaky. So in that regard, if a person can't digest meat correctly, when they move to a vegan diet, they're going to feel great. They don't got all this rotting food and 
all these chemicals from that right you know like going on in the body so the problem is is that there are it's not just b12 and animal products that you need there's all these other amino acids and cofactors and all these things that make everything else work that are only in animal proteins and you need to have them the thing is that your body has a reserve of those so when you move to a vegan diet um, if you couldn't process meat now you feel great your body has all these backup cofactors that it needs and uh, you feel fine but then after a given time um, when you start to run out of those cofactors guess what your body still needs those now you're starting to create problems your body may even start breaking down your own tissue to get those cofactors so even when you're vegan you're still eating meat you're just eating yourself mm. Mm. that was deep it was deep <laughs> Jack <laughs> but another another comment I'd say on like the 80-10-10 approach there kind of like you said initially I see why people feel better just like why they feel sometimes awesome on a juice cleanse like they give up trying to digest the foods that they're not good at digesting so right away they're unburdened by all those healthy foods or potentially healthy foods that are occurring to them as toxins and they're just getting this liquid sugar that they can use to run their brain and their cells and they feel super high and and it's awesome as long as you keep drinking juice and stay high right but that does not create like a balanced bloodstream of like you know the steady slow burning release spikes and crashes yeah Yeah. so you get on this crazy roller coaster in addition to it's totally not sustainable because you're not getting all the nutrients that you need so you eventually run into bigger and bigger problems but i would doubt that most people would feel great on an 80 10 10 diet for an extended period of time right i bet a lot of people would feel great on it for a little while Mm mm-hmm and it's not fixing anything. It's just ignoring or avoiding digestive weaknesses. And then there's a lot of people out there, they're doing cyclical high-carb situations where they might have a day where they eat, might eat 80% carbs. And there are benefits hormonally and, and stuff like that that can happen. Um, but we see a lot of people that do like the juicing for an extended period of time and they end up insulin resistant because... Sugar in a liquid form hits your bloodstream much faster and harder than food. So when you're juicing an apple and berries and things like that, and you pull out all that fiber that was there to slow down how fast that sugar hits your bloodstream, it it becomes a problem over a period of time. And just to add to that with like what we talked about before about people's concerns about cholesterol, I remember there was a period of time where my sister was on an alkaline juice slash smoothie diet for maybe almost a year like six six months to a year and she went in for regular physical and she had high cholesterol mm-hmm. she was like what's right. going on like, and she, I haven't she, been eating food for yeah, a year she didn't eat any cholesterol <laughs> oh at gosh. all just, I just, gone and just on green cholesterol. juices and smoothies and she's like how do I have high cholesterol and now like we know like First of all, eating cholesterol does not make you have cholesterol. We have a whole podcast yeah, episode Yeah, if you don't that. understand that, then listen to our un- how Understanding uh, the Truth About Cholesterol podcast. Yeah, a different episode. But the things that do cause high cholesterol are those polyunsaturated fats, those unusable fats that we talked about, as well as elevated blood sugar levels. So if you're going to go on like 
a juice cleanse for a long time or you follow this 80 10 10 diet your blood sugar levels are going to be generally higher than your body would like them to be most of the time. And that causes oxidative stress and damage to the circulatory system, which stimulates your body to create more high density lipids or what's, or I'm sorry, low density lipids to buffer the damage caused by that oxidative stress. So I think low density lipids get a bad rap in being called bad cholesterol because they're actually buffering and helping you fix the oxidative stress from the sugars and polyunsaturated fats. So when you cut those out, all of a sudden your body doesn't have to make so many low-density lipids and your bad cholesterol just goes down. Right, and don't think that we're saying that all juicing is bad because if you juice green vegetables, that's great. You're going to get a hold of some good nutrients that may have been harder for you to get a hold of before. It's it's when you start putting apples and berries and it, like if your juice is delicious is not good <laughs> right. i thought all juices were even vegetable juices were bad no if, i think if you're juicing things like kale, kale maybe even a little celery um you know stuff like that uh then those vegetables don't contain a lot of sugars so yes you're pulling the sugars out of those vegetables but there's not a lot in there and it's not going to spike insulin levels so high. Or it tastes good. Yeah. Yeah, or it tastes good, yeah. You just but do shots of You can acquire a taste for it, though, mm-hmm. and it, it, people start to like it. Well, and back to kind of the 80-10-10 diet. I mean, I was basically doing that without being a vegetarian when I started with you. You know, just eating tons of carbs all the time. And I'm sure I had fats and all that stuff, but it was just like bread, bread, sugar, bread. Right. And then when I started eating healthy... And working on my digestion, then I had no energy at all for the, like the first week or two. So if you do switch over and you are going to be healthy, know that you might go through like a week or two where you don't feel great, but then you all of a sudden go, bam, I feel good today. You know? Right. And also keep in mind that the 80-10-10 diet is a vegan situation where that 80 is mostly fruit. Mm. And some vegetables. It's not Yeah, like what I was Debbie eating. Snack cakes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, little Debbie's yeah. and all that. Um, so... Uh, if for that reason, for that can be another benefit that a person might find is if a person's eating garbage all day and all of a sudden they switch to something that's just real food, a lot of benefits can come from that. And there's a second part to Simon's thing of can we live healthy without animal fats? Yeah, let's hit that. There is, uh, it's harder, but there is like a supplement called Sterols, which I think is available on naturalreference.com. No, you need no, a health coach not, to oh, get that. If you have a health coach. But it's a, a, it's a cholesterol or a sterile fraction from wheat germ oil, which doesn't have gluten. It's not like wheat. And that, if you're committed to a vegan lifestyle, is a good alternative way to get a true sterile saturated fat. And, and think about this, too. Um, you know, there are other supplements that you could use to uh, find ways to fill in the gaps kind of situation. Um, but... If a person is vegan for moral or religious reasons and all this kind of stuff, we're not saying that you have to go chew on a cow um, because that's not going to make you happy. And the misery that that creates for you is going to cause problems in your body probably more than skipping the steak would have. So it it's really about finding what works for you. Just understand that... You know, most people are vegan because they think that's the healthiest option. And mm-hmm. Will and I were both in that boat. I was vegan for a long time, and so yeah, was Will. Three years. Yeah, I was uh, about a year and a half, or maybe almost two years. But, um, but I did that because I thought it was the healthiest option. And the fact is, is that it is not. There are nutrients that you need. So, if I have a vegan that is not 
vegan for those reasons or, or not moral, ethical reasons, even if they'll just include like eggs or occasional fish or something like that where they're getting some type of animal protein, then I'm pretty happy with it. Mm -hmm. So if that works well for you, that's an option. But also if the thought of eating anything that ever had a face in any way is going to destroy you and leave you in the fetal position, then don't do it. Live live your happy life and just know uh, if you can find a supplement that will help, that's great. Just know that like a B12 shot is not enough. It can help, but it's not enough. There's other cofactors and things like that in there that are missing. But you can find options. Cool. Amber from Claire, Michigan. So I have gallstones. They're not fun. Fatty foods make my gallbladder so angry that it attempts to kill me. What healthy fats are okay to eat? Yeah, like we said, we, we don't want to eat anything that we can't presently digest. So fatty acids, saturated fats, whatever, are not going to work for you until you get your bile flowing. Um, which kind of also brings, so you'd want to take the steps to like fix that. We usually recommend like beet flow or even coffee enemas and things. But we haven't talked about, uh, gallbladderless situations yet. Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. So if you don't have a gallbladder, your liver still makes bile, but it doesn't get to hold it and store it where it needs to be to do its role of digestion. Like we talked about earlier, when the gallbladder squirts the bile onto the food after it leaves the stomach, that's not going to happen if you don't have a gallbladder. It's going to just be a slow trickle of your bile right. in an unconcentrated form constantly flowing from your liver. So to have digestion work well, you're going to have to supplement with uh, a bile supplement. Usually people use ox bile. Right. You'll have to learn how to time it and how much to use. And it's a, it's a nuanced thing. But if you don't have that bile supplementation, then fats just aren't going to be functional for you. Right. And if you use the ox bile, you really do our free four-week digestion course because there's a whole page of videos and they're showing you uh, steps you can take to use it. Because if you use it wrong and you you like mix it with the food, you're going to make digestion worse and uh, you're going to end up bloated and all, all kinds of problems. So you really need to know how to use it. But it, it does become an important thing. And we have another episode on, uh, I think, kidney stones and gallstones. So if you've had your gallbladder removed or you're having issues with that, listen to that episode too because we talk a lot about the issues. Like people will have their gallbladder removed and still get gallbladder attacks. And it's because that biliary pathway that was blocked and caused the person to lose their gallbladder never got unblocked. They just took the gallbladder out. So you still need to take steps to get that bile so that it can flow and move to fix those attacks. But even when you do that, without a gallbladder, it's not going to be enough bile to properly emulsify fats that you're eating. Riddle me this. Is ox bile from a real cow? Yes, but it is cleaned. So you're not like taking a capsule of cow poop. Ooh. Yeah, it's it's like cleansed, but like there's a company that makes an ox bile that's like this tablet. It's not in a capsule, mm. and you, so you take it and you're like, oh, that tasted like cow poop. Oh, that was absolutely cow poop. <laughs> I just put it in my mouth. And please give go me, eat a cow patty out of the pasture more. for cheap. <laughs> right, but the one we use, bile emulsion, uh, is in a capsule. Ah, cool. Right, but it is. It's it's actual bile, and it, uh, but it can. It can help. It's not going to make perfect digestion like you had before you lost your gallbladder, but people can see, you know, an 80, 90% improvement in how they feel and function. Another thing with this that we want to talk about with Amber 
um, is that people use these uh, olive oil, lemon juice cleanse things to for to get a gallbladder moving again. And it can be a little bit dangerous uh, because it can also flush junk out of your liver. And if you flush all of this waste out of your liver, all this junk out, and bile is not moving, there's no real exit strategy for that waste. And now the kidneys have to handle all that, and it can overwhelm a kidney, and you can damage your kidneys that way. But one reason I think that this, these cleanses work to get a gallbladder moving is because they're, they're putting these large amounts of fat in at once. And it, uh, I've heard some guys say that they kind of feel like it works because you're like, you're calling on the gallbladder to give me some bile because all this fat is in here and you're kind of screaming at it enough that it can kind of push hard enough and actually make some happen and it can kind of get some stuff flowing again. But I prefer to see people use beet flow like we use because um, beet greens will thin the bile and, and that seems to get it flowing. You know, sometimes you have to use a lot and you have to use coffee suppositories, which can, you know, it can be expensive to do all those supplements, but... You know, gallbladder surgeries, uh, your insurance pays like $15,000 or something like that to mm-hmm. the doctor that does it. Um, and if you're going to have to use oxbile for the rest of your life after a surgery, then it's worth spending the money to take the steps to fix the bile flow. And I had a, a long conversation with a couple friends the other day about these flushes that they were had just done. And, you know, I, I was thinking more deeply about the goal of their thing, like how successful they feel with it, is like how many stones did they get out? Spell out? <laughs> and when you, sorry, wait, we can't, how many stones did they poo out? <laughs> and then when you think about the role of bile salts, you realize the goal is not to lose your bile salts. Like your body wants to recycle them up to 20 times. It's like a very efficient dishwash soap Uh that your body's like, no, that's really good stuff. Don't lose it. (laughs) So it gets recycled into the intestinal tract and pulled back in this whole rhythm back through into the liver. So to just cause your body to expel out all your bile salts, it's not necessarily helpful because it takes a lot of work and resources to make those bile salts. What you really want to achieve is for your bile to have the right fluid consistency and for it to be able to flow. So the beet flow really helps with that in creating the bile as a more viscous fluid substance. And then the coffee enemas or coffee suppositories like Xenoplex help dilate the biliary tract so that bile can flow where it should. And that's the two main things that people really need to usually work on to fix their bile flow, not force their gallbladder to vomit out all the stones that were there. That could be another problem with Simon's 80-10-10 diet too, is because if you're not eating enough fats, you're not calling on that gallbladder to give you gallbladder to give you bile and so that bile can sit there longer and get thicker and sticky and then it backs up and now you lose your gallbladder Mm. so that's another issue that a lot of people feel is a problem so let's wrap up here and let's look at some action steps that people can take to figure out um okay should i be eating fats and you know how much should i be eating and stuff like that so to review let's look at what are the things we want to look at to figure out if bile is flowing correctly so you you want to see in your digestion, do you experience any of this? If you have loose, all these are signs of bile not flowing well. If you have loose stools or diarrhea, if your stool is lighter in color, like the color of cardboard or lighter, if you have chronic acne, 
nausea, especially upon eating fats, um, gas, or bloating in your mid and lower abdomen. Another thing you could do is you can get those urine pH strips, and you can test your saliva pH. Uh, at least two hours after meal and if it's under 6.5 that's a strong indication that your bile is not flowing so well and you're a little bit toxic from that backup. Mm -hmm. And one other fancy test you could do is that if you use those rapid response 11 parameter urinalysis dipsticks you can look and see do you have bilirubin or urobilogen in your urine also signs of it not flowing out Correct. right. That's a good one. And another little indicator you can get from that is if your urine specific gravity which that shows on that is really high then that's one indicator of being too catabolic and most catabolic people tend to have sticky bile so you can use that as like another little clue. Good so that's the first step make sure your bile is flowing the next step would be to eat fats from pastured animals and don't be afraid of the egg yolk, don't be afraid of animal fat. All of that is great if you can emulsify and digest those foods. So start including those foods. That would be step two. Remove all of your uh, vegetable oils that people have been telling you that were healthy, all those fake butter spreads, all that stuff that is just chemicals that are toxic to your body. And then if you want to get more advanced, um, you can take our free digestion course and figure out if you have any imbalances that might dictate, hey, lean a little more towards butters or lean a little bit more towards fatty acids and olive oil and stuff like that. So those are four steps that you can look at to really figure out um, the appropriate amount of fats, the type of fats, and ways to include fats in your diet. But fat's a great thing. When you start to take in the fats, not only can your body function better, but it can also let go of fat it may have been storing. And on the, the uh, animal fats, making sure that it's a good animal. It's like pastured it's, animal, yeah. yeah. You want to use something without, you know, Horm no antibiotics, antibiotics. All that, yeah. All that kind of stuff. Um, and it can be a little bit more expensive, but uh, your health, you're going to pay for it sooner or later. So mm -hmm. why not buy a good steak? Mm -hmm. That's so true. Today's show was brought to you by audible.com. Get a free audio book download and a 30 day free trial at kickitinthenuts.com forward slash audiobook. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And if you, if you've heard anything that you like, be sure to go over iTunes and leave us a review. That really helps us spread the word more than anything. So mm -hmm. you're like a hero when you do that. And if you want to learn more about how to look at your own chemistry, you can read any of Tony's books or take the free four-week digestion course at kickitinthenuts.com. Or you can head on over to Hottie Patati Will Schmidt's mybodyofknowledge.net and check out all his uh, good advice there and workout videos and stretching too as well, huh? Yeah. Cool. Sign up for Will's newsletter too. He has a good one. Oh, okay. I will. Right on. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye.